Welcome to Talking Stack, MarTech Advisors' weekly news podcast. Join us as MarTech experts David Robb, Anand Talker, Amit Varshney, and editor Chitra Iyer talk about the things that matter this week in MarTech. Welcome back to the Talking Stack, everybody. Uh, today we are delighted to have with us Saira Nazir. She is uh, the head of digital marketing at Autodesk, and it's a company you probably pretty familiar with because of products like AutoCAD. We've used it in some way or form uh, uh, in our lives. Uh, Sarah herself has been a marketer for close to two decades. And, you, you know, Sarah, you've done it all, right? From above the line to uh, below the line, digital marketing. Um, now, uh, you know, the whole, um, the new wave of omni-channel marketing, customer experience, right. all of that, right? Yeah, yeah. So you, you know, I go uh, way and, back, but don't date me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so we're excited to hear about your journey and, you know, what you've learned and what you could share with your colleagues and peers in this space as well, who might be struggling with the, uh, the challenges that come with both digital transformation and this digital transformation 2.0, where we're talking about omnichannel customer experience and this very complex sort of landscape that we operate in today. Uh, but let me dial it back a little bit, Tyra, and start with, you know, your, uh, in your career, you have um managed or led the digital transformation for two fortune 500 companies yourself okay so tell us uh, you know the big picture about um what were the, some of the key lessons you learned uh, what was that experience like and you know if someone was tasked to do this for a company where do you even begin and how do you pace yourself yeah great questions i get this question a lot actually which is uh, which is really interesting because i think as um as businesses change and the business landscape changes i think there are there are a lot other uh things that need to get um you know identified uh gaps that come up that were never there before five years ago so in terms of uh, things that i've noticed you know everybody's data is different and i think this is this is probably one of the um least noticed gaps and areas. Everybody gets the right tools. They build up their MarTech stack. They do all of these different things. They hire consultants. They bring them in. But everybody's data is so uh, uh, fragmented in so many different ways that nobody really realizes that each, um, even if you have standardized tools and processes as part of this uh, digital transformation, you, you still, it is very customized. It's very unique. And so, um, you know, data is very dirty. That's one of the key things that, that I've learned throughout. And, you know, the other key thing is, I think uh, whether it's the business landscape changing or companies pivoting towards AI or towards digital transformation, I don't think there's enough focus put on reorgs or organizational design. And, you know, if you take, you know, all of your processes and you, um, you know, your backend processes or your, uh, you know, MarTech stack, you revolutionize, revolutionize all of that, but you're still working with the same teams and the same structure. You're not going to be able to, to leverage all of the benefits as you would if you went back and, and took a look at how your teams are structured to take advantage of that. There's so many definitions for this, but how do you define digital transformation? What does that mean to you and your organization? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, in terms of defining digital transformation, I do think it can mean different things to different companies. It could mean different things to different industries, right? You know, within the tech industry, I think it has a lot to do with backend. You know, a lot of the companies are going more digital. 
um, but there are a lot of companies in other industries that are still far from digital, surprisingly. But you know, in terms of um, transformation, I, I would say it's it's a data overhaul. Data centralization is the key. So definitely understanding your data, standing it up in a in a space or or in some kind of a system that is not only good for today but is good for tomorrow. You know, AI is around the corner. Are is your data set up to be able to you know be input into an AI system? You know, it's it's thinking about today and tomorrow. It's also what I talked about earlier, which is organizational design, which a lot of people may debate is is or is not part of transformation. I really strongly believe it needs to be, so I I call it out. And then it's um it's leveraging uh, all of the new business models. So, you know, what we see is there's B two B and there's B two C. But today, what's happening is all of those are merging together. There, I don't really think there is a, a clear definition or distinction anymore. Especially, you know, if you take a look at Autodesk, Autodesk has been around for 30 years. The distribution model has always been through resellers, right? And now what they're trying to do is they're trying to pivot towards an e-commerce solution. And so if you think back to how consumers purchase, you know, they put their credit card down for, let's say, a $20 purchase, right? You don't think that customers are putting down credit cards for a $5,000 online purchase. But, but, you know, take a step back and also realize people are buying Tesla online, right? So they are, you know, focusing on uh, all of these aspects and they are getting more comfortable with making big ticket purchase items online without the help of any salesperson. So this is where things are headed. It's really the the merging of B2B and B2C, but then there's also direct-to-consumer that's coming up. So, you know, it's all of those things are just kind of uh, interplaying together. I think it's it's the pivoting of, of a new business era that is definitely part of this transformation, making sure your organization, your data, everything that you do um, within business, including your communication channels, are all set up to take advantage of that. I get that data is dirty. It's a really difficult subject for people to talk about. And with that, there's this other subject, which is equally messy in marketing, which is marketing performance measurement, right? I actually often call measurement the elephant in the room, okay? Because everyone loves to talk about it. It's the right thing to do. You should know about it as a marketer. But who really knows, you know, what's been your realistic ex experience with measurement, performance measurement? You know, Let's that is one of the <laughs> that is one of the best questions I have gotten because I tell you, you know, when I think back, uh, when I think and I look at measurement and, and, you know, as part of, you know, incubating all of this at uh, Autodesk, you know, I, I've been talking to a lot of leadership and, and redefining how we look at the business. So we tend to look at the business in the same way we've developed our organizations. So we look at paid search in a silo, display in a silo. Although we talk about omni-channel, we don't have any measurement that really does that, right? And so, um, you know, we've been trying to come up with new ways to measure the business. The fact of the matter is that digital marketing has advanced so much, but we're still using measurement KPIs from the 80s. Like return on ad spend, so basic, right? What does it tell you? It doesn't really tell you anything. I mean, if you drove a discount, and your return on ad spend looks much better, then you know it, it tells you nothing without getting much deeper. It's a very, very superficial measurement, but it's used everywhere still. It's not being replaced. And so 
couple of the new um, measurements that we're starting to use is more for full funnel. So for every $1,000 you're spending, how many visits is it bringing? And out of those visits, how many people are converting? You know, really looking at spend all the way through the funnel and what's happening. And what we do is we overlay the entire funnel and we look at the inner relationship between the visits, the dollar being spent, and then how the cart is performing within that. So, you know, the, the measurements are not um, separated from the full funnel view of how the customers are navigating through your entire uh, purchase flow. And you're really understanding um, pathing analysis. So pathing analysis is critical. So what we're doing is we're measuring our media channels alongside looking at pathing analysis. So how long is it taking a customer to purchase? And once we have consistent promotions, let's say two or three times a quarter, what does that do to the natural run rate? How does that help awareness? So it's these kind of questions that we're trying to put into some kind of a mathematical formula so we can look at it more deeply. And we're actually, you know, in the process of, of removing return on ad spend from all of our sort of documentation because it's just useless. How much... How much are you still working with the inside sales group or the distributors or the people that are involved in the original business model and you know, evolving that or seeing the impacts of that in the metrics that you're measuring as you're increasing your performance direct to consumer? I think it's actually very challenging and I'm sure that it's challenging for a lot of, um, a lot of consumer companies that both have a retail presence and an online presence. It's really trying to understand you know, the, the offline, the influence that online has on offline and vice versa. I don't think that anyone's cracked that nut yet. Um, you know, that's, that's true omni-channel marketing. When a lot of people talk about omni-channel marketing, they kind of leave out everything that's happening in store, right? And the fact of the matter is most of the consumer businesses today command both an online presence and an offline, you know, in-store brick and mortar presence. And we have to be able to begin to figure that out. I work very closely and, you know, it, and in Symantec, which is where I used to work before Autodesk, it was the same. So while at Autodesk we have distributors and resellers and it's more sort of the traditional B2B model, at Symantec it was the consumer model where we had a retail presence in Staples and, and things like that. We also had an online presence. But, but the um, collaboration, the need for collaboration and, uh, and the importance of it is it is never going to go away because they're both vying for sales and they're both vying for the same customer and the customer is not preferring either or right now they are leaning a little bit more towards online for convenience but they're also willing to go into the store if there's a really great deal that's what we're coming against and you know when we talk about the balance between um you know resellers as well as online or you know brick and mortar between online I think we should also talk about renewals and online. For any subscription to renewal business, there is also a lot of spillover. Uh, you know, I, I know that there's, um, in the industry, there's figures up to, you know, up to about 60, 50 to 60% of your online conversions are actually spillover from your renewal business. So it's people that, you know, come out of the renewal business or their renewal product and they don't like whatever value they're getting. And, you know, obviously when you acquire a customer, you want a deep discount. So they just spill over and they try to get the better price. Customers are really savvy today. So the inner relationship, the way that you have to work with not only your distribution partners and the channel sales folks, but the um, 
renewal team as well is just critical. You also are a huge champion of AI in marketing. Okay, you've uh, you've been speaking about it. You've also uh, presented about this, um, uh, presented this uh, sort of in-house AI conversion accelerator. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which actually uh, <laughs> quadruple uh, had some mind-blowing results, right? Quadruple the conversions, and uh, so I, I'm sure it's not just me. I'm sure all of our audience would love to hear more about that. You know, I knew about AI. I started researching a little bit, and you know, one thing about uh, Autodesk is leadership is very willing to learn very open door with you know us testing and learning different things and so what we did was we found out that um, uh, you know there are a lot of tools out there that help you develop it without being a coder um, so we said you know what if we can um, look at pathing analysis and begin to understand where does our customer um, you know um, slow down in the purchase flow and we we went and we looked at our non-branded flow. So non-branded, as you know, is the most difficult flow to make money. It's the most one of the most unqualified customers. Um, they're very high in the in the purchase journey, um, just kind of finding out not brand loyal. So we said, you know, if AI is going to work anywhere, if it works here, it will work anywhere, pretty much. So what we did is um, we. We looked at pathing analysis and we understood that when the customer typed in a non-branded keyword and then they purchased between those two points, it was about 68 days. It's a long purchase cycle. And it could mean the difference between making your number a quarter and not making your number, right? So how do we pull that in? How do we shorten it? We realized that they were churning a lot in the middle around information and tutorial pages. And there were three or four main topics that kept coming up continuously. And so when we looked at that, we thought, you know, well, why are we pulling all that information up into our landing page? If we know this is where they're searching for information and this is where the bulk of their time is being spent, let's pull it all up. But how could we do that in an automated fashion, in a logical fashion and at scale? And this is where AI comes in. So what we did is um, we, we paired up correlations. We took non-branded keywords, we correlated them what we felt were the most popular topics that those customers were gravitating towards based on you know traffic to pages and things like that and we coded the ai engine that way we created those relationships the ai started learning on the back end and once it got to a point where it was you know um less than five percent error rate we built a chat box and i know chat box like also oh, 80s and so like you know uh you know, don't want to really like go there. But we thought, let's reimagine the chat box. So I told my web developer guy, why don't you create a chat box that looks like Instagram questions? Everybody's so used to that. It's familiar, people engage with it. And you know, as part of marketing, engagement is, is the really big hurdle. Once you get them over that, you know, hill, it's really easy to try to, not easy, but you know, there's a lot of different ways to get them to convert. So we um, created a chat box that popped up, looked like Instagram questions, but pulled in the keyword from Google that they had searched on. And so if it was 3D animation, the chat box popped up and said, hey, you know, we see you're interested in 3D animation. Um, what were you looking for? Well, when the customer interacted with the chat box, the AI in the back end would, would present the right information on the landing page in real time to connect them with the pieces. And so what that happened, what happened is that 
in a flow where we were getting like probably one to two orders, um, you know, a quarter, we ended up uh, quadrupling that amount in a couple of weeks. And it just started scaling from there. And it was amazing to see because for a period of time, we were getting nothing and we actually thought the code was broken. But what was happening is the machine was learning. And that's kind of a, a big aha moment for us is that AI needs time to learn. It's not digital marketing where everything's instant, instantaneous, right? And so overnight, the error rates exponentially started getting better to the point where we said, okay, we're, we're ready to, to full scale this. So it was, it was just amazing. It was really exciting. Um, it opened our eyes to the potential of AI in digital marketing. And it was a practical example. I can imagine that, um, you know, pitching an initiative like that would take a certain amount of evangelism. What has your journey been like with championing digital uh, channels or, uh, you know, this new way of uh, serving customer experience up? Uh, how, what's been your uh, journey? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, uh, my journey goes back to when I used to work at Elon. So Elon was in the financial industry. They were one of the uh, first companies to do all of the sort of mortgage refi process online. And it was very revolutionary at that moment, you know, to to not have to talk to somebody and just put it in all, all online. Somebody just comes to your house and has you sign the documents, right? Today is very normal. <laughs> but um, Elon was spearheading a lot of innovation. And that's kind of where I built my uh, sort of offline and online, you know, marketing chops. I came in in direct mail and they gave me television, radio, media buying. And then that's when, you know, uh, uh, some of the companies began to experiment with online. So what we did is we took a lot of dollars and we started uh, putting it into the online business. Slowly, um, the online channel started to come under me. We're talking online banner ad or display, affiliate marketing, you know, all of the traditional online channels that um, we know about. So I had the very unique position where I was not only managing television and radio media buying, but I had the online channels under me as well. That's where I really began to understand the correlation between online and offline. And, and it was also the moment in time where we were switching everything. And that online um, expertise is kind of what kind of brought me over to Symantec and now Autodesk to help with their digital transformation. Let's, let's come back to data, which of course is my favorite topic. So yeah, data is dirty, we get that. Specifically, if you come to a new organization, which you've done on occasion, where do you start with the data? How do you prioritize? How do you even know where the, where the problems are? What, what's your process to kind of take control of that mess? You know, that's a great question, David. I think that, um... I think what a lot of folks may and may do is they just go to the data warehouse. They take a look at all the tables. They took a take a look at where is the trial data housed? Where is the you know um, where is the customer data housed? Where is all of the online tracking data housed? And how do we put put it all together? But I I kind of disagree with the approach because I think we should uh, take a look at how the customers are interacting with the brand and figure out how to centralize the data in that way and where it's needed. So for example, at Autodesk, um, you know, a large portion of our business is trial. Um, you know, a good portion is also people purchasing outright, right? But you know, if the trial day, if, if 
you know, a large part of it is trials and the trial data is not in a centralized place next to your online data, that is going to be a challenge to help understand how do you build the right system. So, you know, it, it all depends on how customers are interacting. And for other companies, it could be they're interacting more with the online and the offline, like, you know, a, a online purchasing shopping cart and Sephora, right? So, you know, how do you match those two pieces of data together? You know, it, it matters less where the data is um, and it matters more how the customer is interacting and where are they leaving those pieces of information and how logically to put it all together. What um, does the marketing uh, marketing technology stack at Autodesk look like? You know, I, I have two parts to this question actually. A is what does your stack look like? What are some of the core um, foundational tools and platforms that you use? And B is what are your thumb rules for selecting new tools to add onto that stack? That's a great question. <laughs> so um, what does our stack look like? Our stack doesn't look like anything right now. <laughs> our stack is still being built. Uh, Autodesk has a lot of products, over like 100 products, big and small. And they, have, yeah. uh, they make software for a lot of different industries. So what they've done is they've divided their organization within industries, manufacturing, construction, media and entertainment, and they have software underneath that, right? So, you know, because it's such a complex piece of software, they need industry expertise and, um, you know, digital traditionally, historically has been embedded into each one of these industries, which is very different from a traditional digital marketing model where all the digital marketing is centralized in one team. So because of that, all of the teams were kind of tagging things differently. The level of digital skills were different amongst all of the industry teams. And you know, when we came in, one of the things that we realized is that we gotta get back to basics. We gotta go back and create actually the right tagging structures, the right definitions, the very foundation of what we, you know, sometimes take for granted today in terms of, you know, tracking and tagging in the digital world. So creating that taxonomy, creating that standardized system across all industries, all parts of the organization is the first step. So, you know, I think it really comes down to analyzing what, what you need, what your customers need and building a tech stack, stack around it instead of going and building the stack and finding out you're not using the DMP at all. And that would be that would be a shame, right? And that does happen. Um, you onboard all these shiny tools, and you're not. So, so the parts of the tech stack that we are exploring are are definitely, you know, um, integration between email, our email marketing campaigns, and everything else. You know, we are a heavy sales organization. So, how do we make sure that all of the things that are going through, um, you know, the Salesforce type systems are integrated with all of our online tracking? You know, when someone picks up the phone, but they came in through an online keyword, how are we able to make sure that we see that, right? We see that entire flow. Um, you know, we have like any traditional subscription and renewal uh, product or, or service, we have a lot of people that are from the renewal business that are coming to our website for either information or support, but because we don't understand they're a renewal customer, we treat them as acquisition because we assume everybody that's coming to our website is acquisition, right? So, you know, it's um, using a, a CDP to help uncover and separate some of that. Um, you know, this is where it goes back to really understanding your, your product, um, understanding your customer, what is your business uh, value, 
And then what is your, your uh, business model? Is it subscription? Is it just a one-time purchase? You know, um, how, how are you going to acquire customers? And how are you going to continue to retain those customers? Is it through renewals? Is it through um, multiple purchases, you know, um, uh, of the same brand or other products? Is it cross-selling, kind of like Amazon, right? So, you know, it really comes down to that. Yeah, I think um, you're going to be flooded by calls from vendors oh, tomorrow <laughs> after this was <laughs> right? Don't blame us if that happens. <laughs> But, uh, you know, uh, picking up from there, uh, you know, one of the things we wanted to talk about on this week's show was uh, what we call the trend of the week segment. It's about marketing automation. You didn't, you know, mention any particular marketing automation platform by name just now when we spoke about your stack. But, uh, you know, David, you made an observation recently about marketing automation when that sugar CRM acquisition happened of Sales Fusion. And then you also mentioned Akia buying Mortic recently, Acton Software that's been expanding into different directions. MailChimp launching its own marketing automation product. And you said marketing automation is still popular, but more as a condiment than an entree. Uh, so, what, David, what do you mean by that? Because I actually have, a, you know, a, a, and I'm sure many other marketers would have a totally different perspective because I think marketing automation is kind of going to be that central glue around which um, a lot of the stack is built. I, I reread that and I kind of asked myself, wait, what? what? did I mean by that? Because it was a little obscure. I think I meant to say it was on the menu, but it was a side dish and not the entree. But the point of it was that <laughs> that there's no standalone or there's there's really no independent standalone marketing automation vendors anymore. There used to be dozens, actually hundreds of them. Um, but now they're all part of some larger stack. So maybe they're at the core, although I'm not so sure that's really the case in most instances, if you look at who owns them, uh, but but they're part of something larger. So, so, so you know, you, you don't just go out and buy marketing automation. You go out and buy some some stack that, that uh, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's, you know, MailChimp, where you're really buying an email system that, oh, by the way, has marketing automation as a part of it. Marketing automation was very innovative for a while, uh, say about 10, 15 years ago in the early 2000s, and then it really stabilized, which is a polite word for stagmented. Uh, it just kind of, nothing really changed. Uh, and, and now it's become so commoditized that people just go out and buy it and you can have a Mautic, which is an open source marketing automation system and a perfectly fine system. Uh, but you know, like anybody knows what the checklist is for, for marketing automation. It's not that hard to, to go through the list and build one. So it's not a differentiator anymore. It's not a differentiator for the vendors, not a differentiator for the buyers. Yeah, you know, CR needs one, she'll, she'll check that box. Uh, it probably won't matter which one she buys because it's much more about the user than it is about the system. So it's just not like the center of, the, of your mind, whether, whether or not it is the actual center of your tech stack. Although I will point out uh, that, you know, some of our research recently showed that people who think that marketing automation or CRM is their unifying central database have not been terribly happy with the results. Do you think the landscape is still pretty ripe for other non-marketing companies to come in and start creating these tech stacks or, or even, you know, marketing? I mean, like a Google or anybody else, right? You know, do you think that there are titans that are starting to come up that will probably, you know, make sure that they uh, don't let other folks in? Like, what are your thoughts about the future? 
Well, that's a great question. Uh, there is some development. Of course, the big guys, the traditional enterprise software people, you know, Oracle, Salesforce, IBM, uh, Vori kind of gone through that process and assembled something. IBM, of course, just turned around and sold it all off again because they kind of got bored with the notion. Uh, but the real interesting question is the one you ask about what about Google and Amazon and Facebook, who, of course, have a lot of marketing technology. You know, they're selling a lot of ads. They all have actually large groups. You know, LinkedIn or when Microsoft just bought Drawbridge, big, uh, uh, you know, identity graph vendor. So are they, are they going to, and again, they already have a marketing. They, and they put it in their marketing systems group, their marketing technology group. They already have a group that does nothing but marketing technology for their advertisers. So there's definitely probably more progress in that area by those guys, Google, uh, Facebook, Microsoft, than we kind of give them credit for. And will they come out and, and with something that they label as a sort of a generic, you know, marketing cloud suite to compete head on with Adobe or Salesforce? Maybe they will, maybe they won't, but they'll be sort of quietly gobbling up large uh, areas of territory. If the customer themselves, okay, the way customers behave, there's not, uh, you know, it's this like we, it sounds like a cliche and I'm sorry, I have to use it at least once in every episode, but you know, this whole seamless customer experience that people expect, you know, it's device agnostic, doesn't matter what device platform or channel they're on, they want that consistent thing. And that is leading uh, to this need for, uh, you know, the silo that used to be there between ad tech and MarTech is sort of going away. For you as a practitioner, that's obviously really challenging because um, suddenly you have to have like eyes on all sides of your head, right? And you have to, uh, you know, even if you, uh, even if someone's starting out today, like you're just building the foundations of where you want uh, technology, the role you want technology to play in what, what you do as a marketer, right? But even as you build that out, um, I think there's a huge sort of challenge of understanding whether you should be already talking about all the futuristic things or just focusing on the on the foundational things and how do you balance that without upsetting your customers because they expect you to be as on the game as um, you know the experience they get with one of the most savvy d2c brands for example i think we're we're in a very uh, interesting time of business where a lot of things are merging together there's i i kind of feel like in in five years from now or i don't know maybe sooner or maybe later there may be a whole different kind of landscape what we've understood as as sort of the traditional parts of of business and marketing i think are just going to get reimagined relabeled everything is going to be different wall street journal asked me to uh, come at their executive AI forum and just talk about AI and digital marketing in early April. We had a cross section of many different industries from entertainment to tech, all of the sort of CMO, CEO sitting over there, the, the head lead decision makers, right? And the question they were asking is the same. I don't know what I don't know about AI. What do I need to know? What do I, what, what do I need to prepare for? And I think it's not only about AI, this question is being asked about everything. Everything that's coming on to the landscape, you know, do, do I need to revisit my MarTech stack? Do I need to take a look at it again? Has it changed? Is it, is, are parts of it redundant now? And, you know, these questions, it is very challenging. I think I look back to how, you know, marketing used to be where everything was very siloed and it was okay for it to be siloed. There weren't problems and everybody operated that way. And now things have become increasingly difficult. You know, we are, uh, companies and organizations are asking uh, 
uh, teams to do uh, more with less people, less budget. And, you know, it's just challenging all around. And then on top of all of that, to keep an eye on what's coming and whether it applies to you or not is, is hard. And I think this is where sort of um, the conferences really, really help. You know, where maybe previously the conferences were more around networking and just, you know, talking to other people within your industry. I think the conferences today are about what's coming up. How do I learn about it? How do I get more information? How do I get attached to the right experts and the companies to guide me? One of the best practices really is to find a small group of people that you can trust that are confidence, confidants and either have had the experience just above you or are, you know, a little further down the line or are a little bit different from yourself as well because that diversification can be you know, built into you know, what's going on. Um, you know, that, that, that's certainly one part of it. You know, and then the speaking to the, you know, the industry evolution, particularly with marketing automation, I just wanted to jump in with this. What we're seeing is, is a way that we think about how we've engaged in the past and now what we're talking about in the future. So we used to be used to talking, right? Brands just talked. We didn't really do anything else. We, that's why, as, uh, as you mentioned, right, Ciara, it's like um, it, uh, you have silos in marketing and it was completely okay because everybody would just make their noise in their own department with their own channel and it would be fine because there wasn't really a lot of overlap and it didn't really matter you know, what happened after the fact. It was just you did some campaigns and then there was something happened. And now what happened, and then what ended up going on was we wanted to do it more effectively, and this is where marketing automation was so innovative because we could do it on the digital channels. But then we evolved into listening, and then we went from listening to now where we're talking about conversations, and conversations are far more complex. And you know, moving forward, we're going to start developing you know relationships. And I know we all think that we're doing that really well, but we're not doing it to the level of an individualized react uh, you know level. Uh, at least from a marketing standpoint, uh, unless you're in a very, you know, enterprise B2B capacity. And that's why building communities and having, you know, collaboration with sales and product, as you mentioned as well, is, is becoming a big deal. So we've moved from talking and just yammering around to now starting to build relationships. And that's where, you know, we're seeing an evolution of the technology evolve as well, which usually takes about a step behind where the new tactics are going and where the best practitioners are doing some really interesting work. It's great analogy. And speaking of communities, Anand, we have exactly like one minute to, if anyone has a take on uh, LinkedIn's purchase of Drawbridge. I know, David, you mentioned it really briefly, but, you know, LinkedIn, we, is, I sometimes tend to forget LinkedIn is Microsoft. And Microsoft is actually, I think, <laughs> making all these moves towards competing with Google and um Amazon and, uh, you know, uh, Facebook. You know, it doesn't matter what their core business model is. Ultimately, everyone's... Uh, advertiser right selling advertising products at the end of the day and the audience is the product people used to ask me which marketing automation company was microsoft going to buy and if you look at how big microsoft is they just it wouldn't move the needle right the business decision just didn't make sense for them the marketing automate you know the marketing technology they bought linkedin and why Right, and this is, I'll get to the why, you know, identity graph uh, is, identity graphing is incredible and why Drawbridge would be a good acquisition is because they wanted to own the relationships, right? And that was much more, was more important to them in terms of understanding the data and the relationships between that data. Even if Facebook fell apart tomorrow, right, the biggest value of Facebook isn't the number of users, it's the relationships that they have underneath the hood. 
And those are relationships, not only to other people, but to brands, to preferences. That's getting into people's heads and understanding what their real intent is. And that's really where I think Microsoft wants to compete with Google and Amazon is what is that intent? We talked about this in one of the other previous uh, episodes too, where, you know, Google just talked about intent and, you know, trying to get in the heads of, uh, of consumers. Um, this is taking it, you know, the information they have in LinkedIn and taking it a step further, particularly in the B2B capacity. And as Ciara mentioned correctly, and I know I mentioned this a lot of times, and I think we all do, is that B2C, this is where those areas where B2C and B2B, it, the, the lines blend because it's all about relationships. It does not matter about whom you're selling to as long as you're building a relationship and there are relationships between people. So that's that's what identity graphs are. And if you are a marketer, I tell you, if you think you are just following AI, that's certainly one place you should definitely put bets. But relationships between data is incredibly powerful yeah. and identity graphing is uh, something worthwhile reading up on. David, these social media platforms could well be the new marketing auto. I mean, you know, it's your everything wrapped in. It's it's your all-in-one suite, basically, right? With these well, kind of it, capabilities. Yeah, it is. And and to continue with uh, Anand's thought about the progression from you know talking to listening uh, to conversation to relationship, what comes after that is intent, and what comes after that is 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 controlling or or, or controlling behavior. But that's the real end game here. And uh, maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing. That's a topic for another day. But it, the progression is pr- quite clear where this is headed. So we should at least so, uh, love it or hate it, but know where that's know where it's going. So David, so David, you know, I've had to learn to kind of soften my perspective on it too. The PC term of control is influence, <laughs> like deep influence. That that's okay. what we should be. That's how okay. we should be phrasing this moving forward. Okay, well, we'll, we'll uh, without that sounding like. <laughs> Tyra, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of your experiences. Yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, David, Anand, it's such a pleasure. Chitra, always, always a pleasure. And um, so uh, look forward to talking to you guys again. Thank you again for the opportunity. Great. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks to our listeners and uh, David and Anand, as always, of course. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. See you next week with our take on the big news in the MarTech world. Log into martechadvisor.com for more expert commentary on all things MarTech.